exactly whole. I need you to come and reclaim my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I will be whiter.
blessing by faith I've received from above. Oh, glory, my soul is made perfect in love. My prayer has prevailed, and this moment I know the blood is applied. I am whiter. Supplied, I am brighter than snow. Whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Wash me and I will be Wash us that we could be cleansed. Lord, this nation is so dirty. And our hearts have been so much in the world. Lord, come, wash us. Wash us, O God. By the blood of Jesus, come and wash us today. Lord, let this broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress Work a cleansing flood of your blood in the heart of every person who listens. Lord Jesus, if you don't come and wash us, we cannot be saved. Lord, would you come now? I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I want to open today with a letter that I received. I've gotten several wonderful letters. I want to share just one of them. Dear Pastor Greenley, God bless you and the ministry, the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I have recently been listening to the Pilgrim's Progress, and have learned about my salvation. First, I must repent in order to follow Jesus' way and commandments. Secondly, I learn that my sins are not just forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross of past, present, and future. For me to just live comfortably in my sins every day. Instead, I need to repent. Whatever I've sinned against my Father in heaven. Thirdly, to repent means to have godly sorrow, to turn from any sin in my life that I know displeases God. And lastly, I was saddened to hear 
that I too have been listening to a watered-down gospel for many years through church attendance, local radio broadcasts, and television, but the words of truth you have spoken recently help me to repent and start searching the scriptures again to see if it is so. I will sum up by saying, thank you for teaching and preaching the truth straight from the word of God, making it plain, but convicting. We all must grow in into the rich knowledge of Christ and become doers not hearers only. So thank you for listening to God and being obedient. I may not be able to give an offering all the time, but will give whenever I can. Thank you, Pastor Greenley. Please accept this gift offering toward the ministry God has called you to. Love in Christ. Your sister. That letter was a great encouragement to me. Because that's what I want to happen for all of you. I want you to turn from any sin in your heart. I want you to be washed by the blood of Jesus. And I want you to go through the necessary grieving over your sin that you will not return to it. Now, I have a great deal I want to share with you today out of the scriptures. We're going to study together again, primarily in the book of James. But the Apostle John has some introductory things I need to share with you. Now, please, before I begin, may I say just a couple of things? I have not been live for the past two weeks. I needed time to physically rest And I also needed time to fast and pray. I am terrified by what I see happening to America. I am terrified. I am frightened. Why? When I learned that our president and our secretary of state were instrumental through Saudi Arabia and Qatar for funding ISIS. When I discovered through the WikiLeaks, when I discovered written in emails by our Secretary of State that she was deeply involved in not only the funding, but the direction of ISIS. When I discovered that that the United States government is using ISIS against the president of Syria, where we have no justifiable reason for being in Syria, We invaded a country without any justification. And then we funded ISIS to go against that president, but they have gone through Iraq. They've gone through many areas, killing and maiming and destroying Christians. 
Azidis, and Muslims. They have murdered children, raping little girls, destroying families, destroying churches, murdering and raping Christian women, shooting, torturing, beheading men of God. Do you think it's possible for America to be committing these heinous crimes and not face the judgment bar of a holy God? I'm not talking about politics, please. I'm talking about moral actions that are utterly wicked, immoral. And we have participated in these things as the American government. We have funded them with American tax dollars. And then when I see the millions of babies that America is aborting, when I see the way our country has turned and accepted homosexuality, transgenderism, lesbianism, when I see the courts of America, the Supreme Court, saying we have the power to rearrange what God gave as marriage. When I hear our president scoffing, I am grieved. I am terrified because I know the sword of God is going to pierce America in judgment for our wickedness and our sins. I've always thought of America as a good nation. I've always thought of America as a moral nation. Oh, yes, we've had sins. But America has done more good in the world than any other nation that has ever existed. But now we have turned as a nation and evil is exploding out of America. I'm terrified of God's judgments. I have prayed for many years, Lord, bring judgment on America, but judgment unto repentance I am terrified that God is going to bring judgment unto destruction upon our nation. And you and and I are complicit in this. We have enjoyed our wonderful lifestyle. We have enjoyed our wonderful grocery stores while the world, because of our actions, was starving to death. My heart is grieved. Now let me tell you what even terrifies me more. What terrifies me even more than all of these wicked things having been done by our government and by our representatives. This morning, I stopped and got a cup of coffee. And I met there a Christian man that I've known for some time. And as soon as he saw me, he 
called to me and said, please come, let's talk. And he wanted to talk with me about about Jesus and about how Jesus is directing his life and the doors he's opening. After we had spoken, as I was walking away to come and do this broadcast, a very light, jovial tone came into this man's voice as he called to another man that he recognized. And to this man, he began to talk about the Steelers. He began to joyfully comment on what's happening with the sporting world. What terrifies me is that here is a man so typical of many Americans who call themselves Christians. They can talk about the sporting activities of the professional world. They have their heroes. They can speak about everything that's happening in the world and relish the topic. While all the time, God's judgment is ready to be poured out upon America. We can speak about the Kardashians and we can speak about Beyonce and we can speak about all other kinds of unclean things and speak with these things about which the world is in love. And many of you today relish the world. You love the world. You're Christians. You love Jesus. But you also love the world. That terrifies me for you. That terrifies me for you. Because I know this world and everything in this world is going to pass away. And it's time for us to be very sober and vigilant and and not just talk about Jesus. Not just talk about Jesus. I met a young woman. I've been ministering to her. She's a college kid. I saw her this last week. I asked how her school was progressing. And we spent some time talking about the classes she's taking and the progress she's making. And then I said to her, and how are you doing with Jesus? Are you growing in Jesus? Have you been in church? What is Jesus saying to you? And she tried to begin to talk with me about Jesus, but she stopped looking at me and her eyes darted this way and that way. And finally I said to her, I find it interesting that when we speak about your college work, you look me directly in the eye, you smile, you're vivacious, you're alive. But as soon as we switched and began to talk about Jesus, you won't look at me directly in the eye anymore. You are very evasive, which tells me that there is sin in your heart. Is that so? 
It was obviously so, and she became very uncomfortable. I bid her have a good day. I said, I will continue praying for you, and I'll see you again soon. Jesus makes many of you uncomfortable. Why? I know why. When there's sin in the heart, you're not free to really talk about your love for Jesus. Let me read this. John, the gospel, the first chapter, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 10, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then when we go to the the book of First John, First John, let me read for you from chapter one, verse five. And this is the message which we have heard from him, and report back to you that God is light. And there is no darkness in him. Robert Law, one of my favorite Puritan writers, said this, Light is the medium in which we come to see as God sees. To have a true perception of all moral objects, qualities, actions, and persons to walk in the light is therefore to have in the first place the will to see all things in the light of God and to acknowledge and act up to what is thus seen to be the truth. To walk in darkness is the effort, instinctive or deliberate, not to see or the failure to acknowledge and act up to what is seen, to withdraw ourselves, our duties, our actions, our character, our relation to the facts and laws of the spiritual realm, from the light which God's self-revelation 
sheds upon them, and to do this to exclude the possibility of fellowship with God. You cannot be in fellowship with God and remain in the darkness. You can't hang between the light and the darkness. So 1 John, the first chapter, verse 5, this is the message which we've heard from him and report back to you that God is light. And there's no darkness in him, none whatsoever. If we may say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we may walk in the darkness, we lie to ourselves and do not the truth. But if we may keep walking in the light, just as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from every conceivable sin. If we may say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is, if, if we deny that we need the blood of Jesus to do the in-depth work in our heart to utterly turn us from darkness to the light, if we pretend that we don't need the blood of Jesus to wash and make us clean, the truth of God is not in us. And this has specific reference to the Gnostics, for John is writing his epistle of 1 John to counteract the Gnostic beliefs that you can walk in your sin and still be saved. Verse 9, if we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he may remove the sins. Remove is in the Greek, ephemy. It's translated in the NIV as forgive, but the word literally means to remove he may remove the sins with reference to us and may cleanse us from every conceivable unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we we represent him to be a liar. His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin even once hereafter. But if anyone may sin once hereafter, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, a righteous one. Now the problem we're facing... How do I say this to you without you just saying that's impossible? The problem we're facing is one of enmity against God. 
enmity against God. That's the problem we're facing. Let me read it for you. James, fourth chapter. You ask, do not receive, because you ask wrongly, that in your pleasure you may spend freely. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship, that the friendship of the world is enmity with reference to God? Consequently, whoever may wish to be a friend of this world is made an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwelt in us desires us with jealousy? What am I saying? I'm terrified for you and for me. Yes, because of America, because of our government, because of our culture that has become utterly wicked before God, but also because of how we can be friends with the world and hang with the world and the church. Let me open a subject that is so painful that some people, when I've opened it, have just to my face said, absolutely no, pastor. That's not true. It's not right. It's wrong. I have to talk about it anyway. And that is the hatred that resides in the heart of every man and every woman toward God and toward righteousness, toward holiness. Every man naturally hates God. Every man naturally hates God. Every man naturally loves the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, as we come to Jesus Christ, we ask him to forgive us for our sins and to wash away our iniquities. He will do so. But the hatred for God has not been totally removed from our hearts. There is a work of cleansing to the very bottom of our souls that must be accomplished. Thessalonians, Paul talks about being sanctified wholly unto God, completely unto God. This is what the scripture teaches, entire sanctification, holy sanctified unto God, wholly, completely. This hatred toward God seems to bubble up out of our hearts when someone does something to us that we don't appreciate. It's like battery acid. Somebody jars us and the battery acid splashes out and burns them. And it also burns us. 
this hatred for God sometimes is referred to as a bitter root. Sometimes it's referred to as anger. Many of you listening to this broadcast have a residue of anger that remains in your heart. A lack of forgiveness. One person who came to see me some years ago sat down with me and had pages in her notebook of offenses against me, things that I said that she disagreed with, actions that I took that she was offended by. Her pride was in full display. And I said to her, My sister, I cannot answer your accusations. I think you need to go find another church. And then you can begin your notebook of accusations against that pastor. And when you're finished with that pastor, you can go find another church and you can fill another notebook with all of your accusations against the new pastor. I know people like this. They have judgments against everybody they know. And if they have opportunity, they will raise those objections. It is flowing out of pure pride and hatred for God. But some of these people seem to be the most righteous in the way they speak. They claim to be somebody in Jesus. They claim the function of ministries in Jesus, but they still hate God because of the Pride and anger that resides in their soul gives them away. You can't begin to speak peace to them because they're so deeply offended by your words or your actions. They have an elephant memory. It's hatred for God. Now, until we come to a place in our life where we are willing to recognize the hatred we possess in our hearts toward God, toward others, there is little hope for us. As long as this journey This pilgrim journey is about you. You will not be able to successfully pass the lions and the other obstacles that you will face. There must be a total renunciation of myself and of my pride. There must be a total and complete removal by the blood of Jesus of all hatred toward God. There must be a washing and a cleansing of our souls. There must be a time when we finally come before God. And we weep before him. 
there must come a time when we are willing to come into full agreement with God regarding our sin. There must come a time when we are willing to lament, to mourn, to weep. There must come a time when we will turn our jovial conversation about the professional world of sports and all of the other entertainment of the day. There must come a time when we cast this foolishness from our hearts once and for all and let our laughter be changed to mourning, to let our joy be turned to heaviness, to be humbled before the Lord. There must come a time when we finally are willing to give up the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. comes a time when we have to come into agreement with God with respect to our sins. Let me read it for you. First John, the first chapter, verse 9, if we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, He is faithful and righteous that he may remove the sins with reference to us and may cleanse us from every conceivable unrighteousness. We have to be willing to come into agreement with God and stop defending ourselves, stop defending our actions, stop protecting our pride and our arrogance. There comes a time when we have to simply face the reality of our condition before God. Oh, I know. You can go to church every week. You can even pay your tithe. You can even be a preacher and stand before the congregation. But deep in your heart remains that hatred toward God and righteousness. must come a time when we come into agreement with God regarding our sins. Now, just a word about what he's saying, what James is saying about this lament, this mourning, and this weeping. What's that about? Well, I'll tell you. When you finally make the decision that you are going to follow Jesus with all of your heart, that you are going to ask him to get to the bottom of your hatred for him, when you're willing finally to admit your hatred for God, you see the signs, you see the enmity against a brother, you see the judgment instead of mercy toward a brother or a sister, you see the pride rising up in your heart, You see the love of professional sports and all of the entertainment of the world. You see your love of the internet and the movies. You see your love for all of these things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
And you finally recognize that at the very deepest place of your heart, you are still in charge of your own life. Oh, yes, you ask Jesus to direct your steps. Oh, yes, you ask Jesus to be in control. Oh, yes, you'll confess sins once in a while. But in the depths of your heart, you know you're still in charge. You know you can still walk away from God. If he doesn't treat you right, if he doesn't answer your prayer, if someone speaks to you in a way that you feel is offensive, you have the right to be angry and defensive and straighten them out. You still have your pride. All of that is reflective of this hatred for God. The mourning, the weeping, the lamenting. (coughs) Pardon me. What is that all about? Well, what it's about is when you finally make the decision that you are going to give up your life, you're going to have to take time to grieve and to mourn over your death. Many of you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you never spent one moment grieving over the loss of your life. Why? Because you still had your life. Now, I've lost a wife precious to my heart. It's now six years she's been gone. I know what grieving is. I've lost my mother and my father. I know what grieving for the dying and the dead is all about. I used to speak about it. I used to do people's funerals when I was a young man, and I spoke with kindness and with mercy. I spoke the word of God, but I could not enter into how they felt and the grieving of their heart. I once visited a woman in her 60s. She was a hairstylist. I went into her salon. She owned it. She sat in one of the chairs, and she turned the other chair. And I sat there, and we, we spoke together about Jesus. And I said to her, What happened to your husband? Tears came into her eyes. She said, My husband was the best friend I've ever had. I love him more today than when he was alive. She was still grieving. It was almost six years since his passing, and I... I comforted her and I prayed for her and I read some scriptures to her and then I went on my way. I'd done my job as a pastor. And I wondered to myself and I spoke later with others, how is it possible that she could still be grieving now almost six years? I thought three years in your grieving was over. No, not at all. Grieving takes time. 
And if you're going to grieve over the loss of a husband or a wife or a child or parents, do you think it's such an easy thing to die? Do you think there should be no time for you to grieve over the loss of your life? You see, grieving plays a very important part because it's part of how we say goodbye to our loved one. It's part of how we let go of them. It's part of how we release them so that we can be free to go our way. I finally am seeing the world in technicolor. For a long time after Jan died, I only saw the world in black and white. But today I see the world once more in technicolor as I open my life to others as I am confident that she is with Jesus, as I'm confident that I will see her again on that great day. My heart is comforted. But we too now must grieve our own death. Because when we come to Jesus... We must die. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Literally, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are giving up our life, our life of the flesh, where we love the things of the world, the ways of the world, the pride of life, All of that must go to the cross. When those things go to the cross, we will grieve. If you have not spent any time grieving over the loss of your life, may I please suggest to you that you have not lost your life yet. If you have shed no tears over the loss of your pride and the right to be angry, if you have let go of your right to be successful and to be in charge, and now all things in your heart are given unto Jesus, and he is the one who will determine when you will be exalted or if you will be exalted, when you have humbled your heart before God and you now allow him to be fully in charge of you, Now you will grieve your loss. You will weep and mourn over your sin. I know my sin has been forgiven, but my heart is grieved over how disloyal I have been to Jesus Christ. My heart is grieved that I have so caused him to suffer My heart is grieved that I have been so filled with ambition and pride and arrogance in the way I have treated others, how I have grasped for success. I wish someone had spoken to me about these things when I was a young man. 
but I never heard such things. I've never heard a preacher deal with such things. I've never heard a preacher say to a group of Christians, it's clear that there is still hatred in your heart toward God by how you act toward your brother and your sister. It's clear that there's still hatred in your heart because of the pride you exhibit, the defensiveness you possess. the ambition you still hold on to. I have done much grieving over my past and over my life, and it is gone. I have come through the grieving. I see in the spiritual realm in technicolor now. I experience the amazing, astonishing love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He is He is everything to me. There is, there is nothing in my heart like Jesus. How can I spend time talking about the world's entertainment? when my heart is utterly given once and for all, forever, into the hands of Jesus Christ. I died to all of that foolishness. It no longer possesses even an interest to me. How is it for you? Are you still filled with hatred and resentment? irritation, impatience, depression? Is your heart still filled with anger toward God? Hatred of God? And if you say to me, I have no hatred of God in my heart, then I must ask you, what happened when you repented? What happened when you grieved? Did you grieve? Did you weep? Did you mourn over your past? over your sin? Or did you just accept Jesus and now everything's okay? If you did that, you've been lied to. The question is not ever, have you accepted Jesus? The question always is, has Jesus accepted you? And he will only accept you if you die to yourself and you're born from above and you weep over your sin and you mourn and grieve over your life until finally you're prepared to utterly, once and for all, cut your life loose and belong to Jesus Christ totally, completely, entirely. Almighty God, come and speak to the heart of my brother and my sister. Show them the hatred of their heart and heal them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We have just a minute left in the broadcast. If, if this broadcast, Pilgrim's Progress, is of value to you, would you help support this broadcast as the Holy Spirit prompts you you can write to me, Pastor Ray Greenley, at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 
Let me give you that address again. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'd love to hear letters from you about what this broadcast has meant to your heart. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother, my sister. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory.